and welcome to Neptune Talks, a podcast series by Water Science Policy, a multimedia platform that offers water-related news for all. Today, I have the honor of speaking to Gary White. He is the co-founder of two organizations, Water.org and Water Equity. Both support people living in poverty to get access to safe water and sanitation through affordable small loans called water credits. Now, let's Neptune in. Hi, Gary. I'm your host, Silvia, and I am the co-founder of Water Science Policy, which is a digital and multilingual platform that shares stories about water to a global audience. I am here today to chat about your book, The Worth of Water. Let's start with some data. Mm. Today, millions of people lack access to safe water at home, and billions don't have a toilet. I have read that you have an engineering background, yet your solution is quite different from drilling wells. It's about providing small loans. Could you please explain how and why you transition from your engineering background to a more finance-related domain? Yeah, I think the short answer is because just focusing on the engineering uh, wasn't going to allow us to solve this massive problem. You know, sustainable development goal number six is water and sanitation, safely managed water and sanitation for, for all. And, you know, I recognized that the dominant model of raising philanthropic capital, you know, donations and going and kind of drilling wells for communities around the world uh, had, had its natural limits. And at the same time, when I was, you know, in more traditional work uh, in these low-income countries, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of people uh, who live in poverty. And, you know, as if, you, if we think about it, they are facing their water crisis every day. And today, everyone in the world, when they woke up, had to get water somewhere. And what I was discovering is how much they were paying to get that water, paying in terms of their time that they could have spent at a paying job, paying in terms of their time instead of being in school if you're you know, a young girl, paying in terms of their health, paying in terms of cash in many urban slums where you don't have any other option but to, to buy water from these water vendors who aren't necessarily selling high quality water and are selling it usually at 10 to 15 times what it cost if you had piped water. And so it was like this realization that, wait, maybe this problem contains its own solution. If you can take all of those coping costs that people were incurring and kind of redirect that, that money, then maybe this could work. And that's where we zoomed in on microfinance. Like, let's get these people small loans so that they can pay a connection fee to the utility, which might be you know, $300 or so. And then they can escape this kind of spiral of poverty where they're paying a dollar or two every day for water and they can be getting water at a much more affordable rate. And then they have enough savings in their day-to-day -day, you know, water needs that they can pay back the loan. And what we found is now that you know, more than 43 million people have chosen this option with our financial partners around the world. And we've mobilized about $3.5 billion in capital from the capital markets to break that down into these small loans so that people can solve their own water crisis. So we see, you know, engineering is always going to be necessary in terms of the infrastructure and getting the pipes in the ground, et cetera. But for most people, it's not a technology or an engineering issue. It's simply a finance issue. 
Well, <laughs> that leads to my second question, which is really much related to what you were uh, talking about. And to me, reading your book, it really seems that um, you've got an epiphany along the journey um, that is um, that it's expensive to be poor and that uh, people living in poverty spend as much as 20 percent of their income on water, uh, which is a lot compared to what middle uh, class spend on average. And therefore, um, you argue also that uh, water crisis, the water crisis is a market failure. And so it's a financial problem. As you said, of course, we will always need to get to have engineers. But given the great success of your um, organization with uh, and with the solutions and the water credits that you've developed at water.org, uh, would you say that we would also need more financial experts and economists to solve the water crisis? I, I think this problem is so big, you know, it's all hands on deck. And we do need different types of expertise. We need entrepreneurs who are out there, uh, you know, starting small businesses that are designed to address the sanitation needs in particular of households, you know, emptying pit latrines, uh, you know, treating the sewage, you know, collecting the sewage, uh, because a lot of these communities are not going to have piped sewage for a while. Uh, you know, people who are purifying water and selling it at affordable rates, that's an issue. People who are selling water filters, right? And all of these things are things that people can take out one of these small water credit loans for. So I do think we need uh, to look at finance much more. You know, this is roughly speaking a trillion dollar problem. And if you look at the government resources that are going into this, uh, it's not really scratching the surface hardly. So we do need to look at blended finance where we can bring in the private sector, where we can bring in some of the global development finance institutions uh, that can come in with capital in a way that can be paired with government capital, for instance, in public-private partnerships so that these things can move forward. And at water.org, what we've done is actually create and I, know I might be jumping ahead a little bit here, Sylvia, is create a asset manager now, water equity. And water equity raises debt and investment capital in the US and Europe. And then we use that to invest in our downstream financial partners and increasingly into infrastructure providers so that they have the capital they need in order to expand the network to some of the poorer neighborhoods. And I think that's what we need in terms of finance and financial experts are people who make sure when the finance flows that it serves those populations that have the greatest need in addition to you know, the businesses in the middle-class neighborhoods. And that's key to this as well because that's where those 771 million people who lack water access are in those marginal neighborhoods and they're traditionally not served well. Well, that's um, th that's great, and um, and and again, um, it leads to to my to my next question, um, which is uh, really a curiosity because in in your book you argue that um, if a single person or a family living in poverty could get us could get a small fair loan uh, from microfinance institutions, um, then they could use it for more permanent solutions, like for instance getting a toilet installed in their home, and still uh, they would be able to pay back the loan. Um, so to me. Uh, maybe because I'm not a finance expert, this is not necessarily obvious. Um, if poor people cannot afford to pay for water or basic sanitation, how could they uh, possibly manage to pay back a loan? So shouldn't water uh, be free for them or subsidized by the government? 
I do believe that for certain populations that are so poor, there should be a cross subsidy that virtually allows them to get the first amount of water that they need each month for free. I do believe there should be subsidies in the system. But I also believe that we need to segment the market. And there's literally hundreds of millions of people who only need access to affordable finance so that they can deliver the solution that's best for their family. And that's really where we see this being so important because this problem is so big, it's not gonna be solved just by government investment alone. There has to be kind of bottom up financing that enables people living in poverty to pay those connection fees so they can pay an affordable water tariff. And I think that is key to the sustainability of infrastructure. If we don't have people paying a water tariff, then the systems kind of go into disrepair. And we already see, you know, in some countries where there are 50% water losses in the system. That, that's partly due to mismanagement, but it's also partly due to underfunding those systems to, to maintain the, the infrastructure. And when you look at those losses, that's a huge carbon footprint. I think we all know how much energy is associated with sourcing water from where it is to where it needs to be, to treating it, to distributing it. And when you have 50% of that carbon footprint that's lost and provides no economic value whatsoever, that's a huge miss. And so I think we have to be looking at this from you know, uh, an equity perspective, we have to look at it from a climate perspective, and we also have to look at it from a financial sustainability perspective. And so that's, you know, getting back to your question about how can somebody like this afford it, I would just offer you this one story of a woman I met in the Philippines, and we talk about this in the book. Her name is Lena Riza, and she was paying $2 a day to a water vendor for water for her home, $60 a month, and all she needed was a loan, it was about $300, so that she could get connected to the utility and pay for the plumbing to get to her house. And now she's paying a $5 water tariff. And when she was paying off her loan over about two years, she is paying about another $5 a month for that. So you can see a $50 savings in her situation where she, you know, we talk about how expensive it is to be poor. It was very expensive for her to pay $2 a day because that's all she could do. She was too poor to get that loan until one of our partners did that. And now she has that extra $50 that she can put towards, you know, sending her kids to school, buying healthier food, whatever it takes. And this is why water is so fundamental, such a foundation, a springboard for a better life. In terms of um, financial sustainability, and um, you've touched a bit, a little bit upon that already. You you believe that uh, the profit and the non-profit words could uh, um, sort of meet uh, halfway to solve uh, the most pressing issues, such as, for instance, global access to affordable and clean water. And so uh, the two sectors can work together. And in the, in the book, you also talk about the grant support um, that uh, Water.org received from uh, PepsiCo Foundation. My question is, how does uh, water.org make sure that an investment from a giant like PepsiCo, for instance, is not, and pass me the term, greenwashing, or in other words, cleaning uh, their past reputation? Are you or were you originally skeptical about their philanthropic approach? 
So whenever we partner with anyone, we we want to make sure there's a there's a good fit. And I had a lot of conversations with people at PepsiCo and including Indra Nui, the CEO at the time. And I I really believe they were committed to uh, making sure that they were good water stewards and that they were putting water, you know, being water positive was their ultimate goal. And so uh, from our perspective, if we can work with a partner that's striving to improve their operations and have measurable impact, and they are able to provide us with the, the philanthropic support that we need to reach millions more people with water, then I think that's a good partnership. And I think what, what we've been able to do is literally to reach, you know, more than I'm, I'm trying to think with the PepsiCo funding alone, it was over 3 million people that we reached with, with access to water or sanitation. And that, uh, to me, uh, trying to raise that philanthropic capital, as you can imagine, is extremely hard. You know, there's always much more demand for that than there is, is supply. And so we've been very fortunate to partner with them, with Anheuser-Busch InBev, uh, you know, with uh, Caterpillar, with Inditex, lots of, of companies who I believe are striving towards and becoming much better water stewards. It is very impressive, and uh, especially the, the amount that you were able to raise. What also um, struck me is the, 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 the reach in terms of uh, uh, millions of people across the globe. Uh, you mentioned before um, 43 million people. At what point did you really think, wow, <laughs> we made it? And what is the recipe uh, for your success, if there is a recipe for it, or at least uh, uh, give us some ingredients? Mm. Well, I, I certainly don't feel like we've made it. I, I do feel like we have developed a hypothesis and improved that in that people living in poverty are actually a very good bet in terms of giving them access to these small loans for, for water and sanitation. These loans repay back at about 99%. And so for me, that was a big moment to recognize that we could use that philanthropy and turn it into, uh, you know, capital, you know, from the capital markets. And so that, that is important, but it's, you know, it was a hypothesis. And then we have the evidence, you know, of $3.5 billion in these loans having taken place and that 99% repayment rate, that's a big deal. But it also indicates that we still have a lot of work to do to, to reach, you know, the more than billion people who lack water and sanitation. And how can we continue to use philanthropy in a smart way to correct what are really market failures, uh, you know, at the base of the pyramid, and then really complete what I call the financial plumbing between the global capital markets and women living on a few dollars a day. There's still a lot of work to be done. This is working in some markets. We haven't been able to expand it everywhere yet, but that is, you know, the ultimate, you know, time when we can really celebrate when we meet SDG number six and everybody either through a subsidy that's needed for some, or whether it be through a small loan or whether it be through their own growth in income that they're able to pay a sustainable water tariff that allows the infrastructure to be built and maintained so that we can have water in perpetuity, like so many of us already enjoy in so many countries uh, at a fraction of the, the, the percentage of our income that someone in another country pays. 
You just talked about um, the SDGs, the, the Sustainable Development Goals, and uh, um, as you know, 23 marks the halfway point of the UN Decade for Water Action, um, which runs until 2028. 20, um, uh, Where do you think we are at the moment, and uh, what do you think is going to come next uh, for water.org to achieve that target? Well, I think we're behind, and I, I don't think anyone would, would argue that we're not. I think what we need to do, and, and I think this is, you know, being recognized throughout the sector, the the amount of people, number of people in the sector now talking about finance compared to, you know, uh, 15 years ago or even 10 years ago or five years ago, the discussion is much more with finance in the center as opposed to, you know, engineering or, you know, other aspects of the problem. Uh, Also that's central to this right now is climate. And so when you hear so many people talking about, you know, if climate change is a shark, then water are the teeth, right? This is how it's being lived out right now by people. Climate change for people living in the greatest poverty, it's all about water and not having enough of it or having too much of it or having it contaminated by saltwater intrusion and other things. So when you look at the focus on finance, you look at the focus on climate, if you can put these two together, because there's a lot of investment capital out there for climate right now. And as we look at resilience and adaptation for some of the poorest populations on the planet, as well as I talked earlier about the mitigation potential of improving the infrastructure, what we're doing next with Water Equity, our asset manager, is focusing on infrastructure that will allow us to raise that capital, particularly maybe from some of the, the green investors who are concerned about climate, and then put that capital to work so that people get access to better infrastructure at affordable rates that will be more climate resilient. So that's why I'm optimistic is because Finance is at the center of the conversation. The capital is out there right now for climate change. And I should also note that you know, we've never seen such a concentration of wealth among the world's billionaires who are increasingly becoming philanthropists. And so that philanthropic capital that we need to kind of set all this into motion and to correct those market failures, that money's out there. It's not flowing yet. But if you look at people like Jack Dorsey and Mackenzie Scott, who are literally pouring billions of dollars of unrestricted philanthropy into things uh, like the SDGs, I'm very optimistic. That's great. And and also that you mentioned uh, uh, climate and how adaptation relates to water and water relates to adaptation and, and mitigation measures that could be taken. Um, and in fact, at uh, Water Science Policy, we tell stories about water and uh, we try to bring awareness on uh, innovative solution like yours um, that can solve uh, these incredibly complex water problems. Um, yet we also struggle, like everybody else in the sector, to make science communication uh, scalable and accessible to all and for free and in so many different languages. Um, so what, from your perspective and experience, should an NGO like ours uh, learn from your journey, although we're doing uh, quite different uh, sort of things, but similar in a way uh, to, to try and solve uh, the issue? Yeah. No, you you bring up a great question uh, because it's not just about what you're doing, but how you communicate it. 
And I think that that is the challenge uh, for us kind of as scientists and engineers. I don't know if it's if we can extrapolate to to, you know, the water science policy organization. But what I did is I went out and found a great storyteller or maybe he found me and that's Matt Damon. Right. So that is uh, clearly Matt makes his living uh, as a storyteller. And I've been very fortunate uh, to partner with him on the book. Uh, as we as we worked on that together, and in terms of you know a lot of media interviews that we do, and Matt is able to really tell the story in a very very relatable way. So I think it's you don't need a you know a Hollywood actor to do that, but you do need to be intentional about it. And I'm sure you guys think about it all the time. Just you know how do you present data graphically in ways that people can immediately grasp and understand and translate you know the science into the human impact. And certainly that's something that, that we try to do all the time, because no matter how you come about solving this problem, whether it is, you know, a direct solution like drilling a well or whether it is through a microfinance institution or whether it's through a small loan, at the end of the day, the real impact is that woman turning on the tap in her house. And no matter how that got done, that's the story, right? And so you want to be able to tell the story of how your organization translates that into that human impact in a very tangible way, in a very personal way. And that's one of the reasons why we wrote the book, because we felt like that was one more way that we could reach people's minds and hearts uh, with with this challenge, and importantly, what they can do about it. Thank you. And that actually really leans to naturally to my last question. Um, talking about Hollywood and uh, people and uh, quite famous guys, um, this podcast is called Neptune. And as you know, Neptune is the Roman god of water and sea. Mm-hmm. If you like Neptune, <laughs> were governing the sea, but had the power to do only one thing to end the water crisis, what would that be? Oh. Oh, Neptune. Yeah, I think I would, what I would do is I would convene the philanthropist and I would convene like the people who manage assets uh, together in one room and say, look, we need both of you together. We need you philanthropists to see how this can be uh, a solution to one of the world's greatest challenges. Uh, and we need you at the table, but you're not going to have to lift it all by yourself. We've got all of these investors here as well. And together using that philanthropy, it will take a fraction of the philanthropy to solve this problem. If we can engage those people on the other side of the table, those capital providers so that everyone meets their objectives. That I believe is what would solve this crisis because Everybody can win in that scenario. The philanthropists get that social impact. People living in poverty, it's so much value created for them, like Lenariza in the Philippines, that you can slice off part of that value and pass it up to the investors. But you need, you know, if this is all the machinery that needs to happen, you need that philanthropy to kind of grease the wheels of this so that it can work for everybody. So I would put all those people in a room and we wouldn't leave until we, we figured out how to put all the pieces together. I'd have Neptune there with his trident at their, at their, at their throats. <laughs> 
thank you. I think you would probably uh, be a good Deptian then. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, with this one, we, we conclude the interview and, uh, um, and I really appreciate uh, the time you, you, you took to, to talk to me today and really good luck with, you, with the water journey you've, you have had. Thank you, Sylvia. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, happy to do it anytime. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to read or listen to more of our content, check out our website at watersciencepolicy.com, where we frequently publish op-eds, policy briefs, photo stories, and much more on all things water-related, in English and other languages. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Any donation is also greatly appreciated, no matter how big or small. Thank you again for net tuning in, and see you next time.